friends, and welcome to the Lean In Podcast. My name is Ellen Rank, and I am your host. I am a health and lifestyle coach obsessed with setting goals and making them happen. And I'm on a mission to learn everything I can about fitness, health, nutrition, mindset, lifestyle hacks, productivity. Honestly, you name it, I want to know about it, and I'm bringing you with me. So if you're ready to lean in, I think we should get started. All right. Hey, friends. It's Ellen here. I am here with Jennifer Catano. Did I I pronounce that correctly? I did. Yeah. And we have an interesting episode today. Her and I have some some things in common that I think it's going to be fun to dive into specifically around eating disorders and relationships with food. Um, But I want Jennifer to kind of take it away at first. Talk a little bit about yourself, about your story, your history. Okay, so um, I never really had any issues with food, um, disordered eating until about my senior year of high school. Um, I will say I always have had a sweet tooth like my dad. And so I've always really liked sweets and I guess they've been like a comfort thing. So um, I'm actually really fortunate that I grew up in a home where my mom cooked really like pretty healthy meals, Mm -hmm. but we also had things like chips and little Debbie's and soda and stuff in our house because my dad liked those things and they weren't like off limits. So they very like naturally showed us like how you eat balanced meals, but yeah, you can have chips sometimes and dessert and all of those things. Like I didn't really realize that until later in life. Mm -hmm. Um, I never had a weight issue, a body image issue. I was always like pretty tall and thin. In fact, I'd been picked on as a kid for being really skinny. Um, But I would just say like normal. Um, I played basketball. I was active. Um, Again, never had any body image or weight issues until my senior year in high school when I went through a few really hard breakups. Um, I had something happen with um, one of my best friends actually slept with my boyfriend. Oh, wow. And they were dating behind my back. Yeah. And it's like- People suck, (laughs) especially in high school. Well, so the thing was like, we had this close knit group of like five girls that were best friends and have been since like seventh grade. Um, and I was really, really hurt by it. Um, but I told myself I wasn't. Yeah. Right. So I'm like type A perfectionist, strong valedictorian, like, no, like whatever, this is some boy. I'm not gonna be mad about it. Yeah. Like this. Um, I also, yeah, I was like, whatever. Um, I also, I knew he wasn't worth like being upset over really ultimately, but I think I was really more deeply hurt by my friend betraying me mm-hmm. than I let on. Yeah. Um, in fact, I like stayed friends with her mm. um, because I feel like all too often women like blame the other woman, right? Mm-hmm. And I very much blamed him. Um, of course, she betrayed me as well, but we had this close knit group of friends and more than anything, I didn't want to make my friends have to choose between us. That's very big of you. As a a high school student to like be able to make that, that decision. Um, Honestly, it's probably like the people pleaser in me. Yeah. You know, but like, really, I just didn't feel like it was fair to our mutual friends to have to choose. Right. Because I wouldn't want to have to choose between two of my best friends. 
So we were never close in the same way again, but we still hung out and I was, you know, we were courteous to each other, basically. Um, people were really shocked that I forgave my friend, like that I was like, not mad at her. Yeah, I just honestly like put it on him and um, I didn't like process all of those emotions. Yeah. Um, I, I was like having the strong face. So I started um, kind of binge eating on sweets. Like I said, we always had little Debbie's in my house. My dad loved them and I just started binge eating them. And it became like this coping me mechanism that I didn't even realize at the time. Um, I wouldn't, I just go like get them from the kitchen, take them in my room, like, but it made me feel better. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's why I kept, it made me feel better when I was doing it. Yeah. I also think there was in hindsight, there was this layer of, so I started doing that all the time. They had fresh baked cookies every day, like that we could buy between classes. I started buying them and eating them. I was putting on this weight, but I didn't even care. Like mm -hmm. I was drinking, I was acting out in kind of like other ways. Um, at the time, because I wasn't really processing my emotions. I was like, yeah. I'm fine. I don't even care about that. Um, but I started developing like these unhealthy coping mechanisms that made me feel temporarily better. Yeah. Um, and there was also this element of putting on weight as a protection. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't want any boys to look at me. I don't want anything to do with mm -hmm. boys. Now I was sometimes having sex with boys I didn't care about at all. Um, but I did not want a relationship. Yeah. At all. And I felt like I was in control of those like friends with benefits yeah. situation. It made you feel in control. Just like the food. I mean, a lot of the times you, one reason for binge eating is you think like you're controlling the food that you're eating. Um, so it's, it's a, even if, even if you aren't necessarily controlling what you're doing, but you think you are. Yeah. And, um, and I think a lot of it is also like my personality type, like, mm -hmm. I'm a perfectionist. I like him to be in control. And there were these things that I could not control. So I found something to control. I found something that like comforted me when I like was having these feelings of being upset about my friend and the situation. And more than anything, I just felt embarrassed mm -hmm. because everybody knew I grew up in a super small town. We had a hundred in my graduating class. Everybody in the whole school knew. Yeah. Like there was no anonymity whatsoever. And I was just like, I, I am too strong to be like upset by this. Mm -hmm. So I never let anybody see that. Um, and that was like the beginning of the downward spiral. Okay. Yeah. So binge eating became this coping mechanism. I had probably put on about 15 or 20 pounds by the time I went to college. Um, I then went away to an all girls private college um, on full academic scholarship. I was away from home for the first time. Didn't know anyone. I put a lot of pressure on myself my freshman year to make all A's. That, that was the only option. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't have a basketball team. I wasn't um, being as active as I was in high school. And plus, I'd already developed this binge eating as a coping mechanism. Yeah. So um, because I went to a small all-private girls school, like it's, uh, it was unlike any other in the sense that you don't even have to have a card to walk in the cafeteria. You just walk in any time of day you want. There was food always out. Wow. Ice cream, cereal, like whenever you wanted. And I happened to live upstairs in the building. <laughs> of course, it's so easy access. You just walk downstairs. Where the food hall was. Yeah. So yeah, like we even found a secret way in at night, some of my friends. Oh my <laughs> like, gosh. 
I know. Which is like a dream come true, but also terrible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They didn't have an issue. It was just like fun and sneaky to do. Right. But, um, so I kept doing it. I was sitting all the time. I was studying. I was drinking Diet Coke out the wazoo. My friends ate candy. We would eat candy when we were studying. It was just all this sugar, no movement, lots of stress. Mm-hmm. Um, my roommate, my freshman year, actually her dad had a second job at a 7-Eleven and he would get to bring home all the things that they would take off the shelf, all the mini donuts, all the cookies. And he would bring them when he came to visit. So that was in our room. Yeah. All the time. You were surrounded by. Yes. By and so people. I remember. Yeah. I remember sitting in my dorm room when she wouldn't be there. Cause it was so much like she didn't even know if I ate it. Right. We had mm-hmm. so much in our room that we'd share with people. And I would eat like, you know, packs of like the chocolate mini donuts, like five or six. I would eat like three of those probably in a row, like without even really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I gained the freshman 30 in like a semester. Wow. Semester. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, I found myself, um, like really uncomfortable in my body for the first time. Like I was very aware. You were catching on, you did notice you were catching on to what was happening and. Um, kind of like I'm, I like to live in denial. Yeah. So I was like kind of ignoring everything. I was focusing on studying. Did anybody say anything? Like did, because I feel like other people sometimes tend to notice when you put on weight more than you do, especially people who maybe haven't, don't see you every day. So there was nobody in your life that. Well, see, I was living so far away from home Mm. and I wasn't seeing anyone that like knew me before. I remember I did go home like October and I had gained quite a bit of weight. And I remember being like really uncomfortable but like nobody said anything. Yeah. And so again, I like didn't, it didn't really hit me until like later. And like, I wasn't, I was so disconnected from my body and my feelings that I didn't even really realize at first because my clothes still fit. Oddly enough, I noticed that like my bras weren't fitting and I was having a hard time buttoning my shirts, Mm -hmm. but I still like was in denial that I was gaining all this weight everywhere else. Yeah. Which I know sounds incredibly crazy. But if you've ever been just like that disconnected from yourself, um, like I, I have talked with other women now in, in my profession, like that when they're gaining all of this weight, sometimes it is kind of like this layer of like self-protection. Mm-hmm. They also talk a lot about how like they didn't realize how much bigger they had gotten mm-hmm. until I saw a picture yeah. or a video. So it was very much like that because I saw myself every day. I went to a very casual layback school, girl rolled, like we wore sloppy clothes all the time, like mm-hmm. PJs, pajama pants, to class, it was fine. Yeah. So, um, because I had like these bigger, comfy clothes and it was the fall semester and cold, it's like you cover yourself up so you don't yeah. really realize it. Mm-hmm. And I, um, probably like at the end of that first semester, I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm getting really big. So all my life I had weighed about 130, 140. I'm tall. I'm, um, like five foot, 10 and a half. And when I went home at Christmas, I weighed 185. Yeah. So it was a lot. That is a lot. And all of that, and it was like all of a sudden, every day in class, I started realizing like, oh, I feel uncomfortable sitting in this little student desk and, and I don't like the way my pants are like pushing into me and I can't button my shirt. And I started to just be aware of it all 
the time, mm-hmm. like every single second of the day. And I was like, nope, I got to do something. Um, so funnily enough, like when I went home over Christmas break for a few weeks, I actually lost to give it away. And I didn't, I didn't go crazy. Like at first I was just like, okay, I'm going to eat less junk. I'm going to eat more fruit. I'm going to eat more vegetables, drink more water, totally reasonable mm-hmm. things. And I lost like maybe 10 pounds, 15. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go back to college. And I was like, I need to like probably move too. Like I should start exercising, running or something. We lived on this beautiful campus. So a friend and I, um, who's also very type A, wanted to lose weight. We decided we were going to start running together. Yeah. And we got up every morning, like, because we were both so structured type A driven people, like we had a schedule and we would Mm -hmm. get up and we like gradually increased our miles. And um, at the same time, I started then restricting more and more foods. Mm -hmm. And so I was losing weight, but I was feeling really good because of that exercise and those endorphins. And I had like a partner, you know, we were doing this together. It's all this positive feedback you're getting. Yeah. And at Mm -hmm. first it wasn't crazy. Like it really wasn't. I mean, we were like anal about our running schedule, but in terms of like my eating, I was making sensible changes Mm -hmm. and not losing the weight crazy fast. Okay. You know, when it was somebody's birthday, we still had a burger. Like when they had chicken tender, like chicken finger day and the cafeteria was a huge deal. I still had some, but I put them like on a salad. Right. Yeah. So like it was all very reasonable. Um, I was not getting enough sleep though. I was still like very type A about my grades. And um, I was sleeping more like in naps, I would say, like yeah. two hours here, three hours there. And um, I, you know, I was talking to my mom. I, I'm very close to my mom and I was talking to my mom a lot. And she'd be like, I tell her like what weight I was at. And she's like, oh yeah, well, you know, now that you're at like one third, I was like, I just want to get to, I got to 140. She's like, that's good for you, Jennifer. That's good. I was like, yeah, I mean, I just want to get to 130 and then I'm going to stop. Mm-hmm. I got to 1:30, and it was like literally a switch in my brain had clicked and I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. I was suddenly absolutely 100% terrified that if I changed any habit whatsoever, all of the weight would come back on. Cause it's, it's just, well, just because it's still so driven by emotions. It's like you, yeah. you, you had all these emotions tied up in eating and you were coping and you just, yeah switched the coping mechanism and then disguised it almost as like dedication towards this weight loss goal, which seems, seems reasonable and seems like it's something you're supposed to be doing until it just spirals out of control. Exactly. And the thing was, um, I really think a lot of factors kind of played into that. Like one, I am like, it's my personality, like often people that are perfectionistic type a, have like insecurities about certain things, like to control things, mm-hmm. are more prone to having eating disorders, especially like anorexia. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that factor, but I also think there was like a chemical factor that happened because I was exercising a lot, not eating enough probably, and not eating varied enough. Like I think there was literally a chemical reaction that changed in my brain, like from being kind of undernourished where it was like, it, it couldn't, it, it lended itself to depression very mm-hmm. easily and worry. So I, all of a sudden I found myself like terrified if I changed any habits, I'd gain all the weight back. Felt like I had to control it all to keep it together and was like depressed. Mm-hmm. Like just, it was, it was really hard. Like I've 
never been so terrified of something in my whole life. And part of me knew it made absolutely no sense whatsoever. Like my mom would be like, Jennifer, you know, you need to switch. You were like weight loss calories. Again, she's like just a very moderate person. I'm really thankful for that. And I'm sad that she ended up blaming herself because it really had nothing to do with her. Yeah. Um, because really I had everything going from me in terms of like a family perspective and nutrition and body image and all of those things. Um, I didn't get any issues like that from my mom. She doesn't have any, um, but I knew logically I needed to adjust my calories to maintain my weight instead of keep losing. And I just couldn't do it. Like I knew logically what made sense. But all of my emotions and everything in my body was like, nope, nope, can't do that, can't do that. Yeah, and emotions will. What emotions will override logic yeah, it, every time? Yeah, it was really. Um, but it's funny because I don't. I would say I'm not a very like emotional person. I don't try not to make decisions based on emotion. I'm not somebody that like cries very easily, and so um, it was weird. But yes, I. I could not, I felt like it was something I absolutely could not change. Do you feel like though, um, because you say you're, you're not an emotional person and I feel like I've been listening a lot about like feminine and masculine energy and the balance of that and how a lot of perfectionist type A uh, people like you describe yourself have a lot of masculine energy, which is like lends itself to being very productive and need to get things done. But then it's because they don't, step into and sort of accept the feminine energy, which is the emotions and the gut feelings. Um, do you feel like it's possible that you could be an emotional person, but because you have named yourself type A and almost taught yourself over the years to not be emotional, that you're, you actually like do have those emotions in you. You just maybe don't know how to express them or how to let them out because you've like kept them shut in all the time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so funny that you say that because um, it's again, kind of like very intertwined with control. Mm-hmm. I like to control my emotions. Um, I like to be in control of the situation. Um, the other thing I would say is it's so funny because I was just listening or this morning to a new book called Atomic Habits. Mm-hmm. And he was talking how we identify ourselves is the most important. We have to change our identity in our minds before we can really make long lasting change to our habits. So because I identify, I put my identity in like, I'm not a very emotional person. Mm-hmm. I don't really allow myself to be emotional. It's not that I don't have those feelings. It's that I don't allow myself to go there. I'm like, nope, I'm gonna go do something else. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I, yes, I'm a doer type a more masculine energy than feminine for sure. Yeah. Um, so again, it was just like all of a sudden the switch clicked and I I was anorexic. Like Mm -hmm. I would eat one bagel over the course of like four hours. Like I would literally kick at it. It got worse and worse and worse. Long story short. Um, I started some counseling at the school nurse. I started going to the health center because I had to be weighed and like checked on. Voluntarily? Um, Kind of like, I mean, I told my mom, like, I, I can't stop. Like, I wasn't totally hiding that. Um, And like, I came home and she saw I was underweight and she's like, Jennifer, you know, you can't keep losing weight. So, you know, I was communicating with her about that. I'm the type of person, like, I've already talked to my mom today. We talk at least once a day on the phone. 
And so, um, so even though she was giving me like great advice and I was talking to her and I was telling her I was trying, but it was so hard. Like I knew I was struggling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was still getting great grades and all of that, but I was struggling. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I ended up actually having to go home, um, in my junior year. So all of that, I like lost weight steadily throughout my sophomore year. That's kind of when the switch flipped. It got worse when I went back in my junior year and I was getting so low in weight. Like the health center was like, this is way too low for you. Like your heart rate's too low. You have low blood pressure when you stand up. Like this is actually like a health concern. And so I went home for a semester. Mm -hmm. I took a leave of absence. I went home. I saw doctors. I was at one point she advised that I'd be hospitalized. I said, no, you know, I'm, I'm home. I can, I can do this. I'll work with my parents. I'll come to therapy, all of those things. Um, so by that point, I very much had body dysmorphia. Like I thought I was huge when I was not, I did not see myself accurately. Um, so I kind of went through all of that. I was very important to me though, that I maintain like my standing in school. Mm -hmm. Um, because that was also my identity my whole life. Like I was always, you're the smart kid. You're the valedictorian. You're the one that gets all A's. That's what everyone around me identified me as Mm -hmm. and thus myself. So I, um, took some classes at university of Florida, which is, I live in that hometown. I took classes there as I was going through therapy and getting better so that I would basically be able to get all my credits and hope that I would go back my senior year finish and be good. And so I pulled it together for that, basically. Well, cause that's your, um, sounds like your self-worth was sort of rooted in how well you were doing academically. Yeah. Which is crazy. But ironically, I think it's the thing that saved me. I think it was like me not wanting to fail, me wanting to save face, me wanting to be like, no, like I'm better than this. And I I can do this. Mm-hmm. So, so I did. Um, it was hard and eventually just slowly and slowly, I was able to eat more, get a little more comfortable gaining weight. When I went back my senior year, I was by no means exactly where they wanted me to be, but I had gained enough. My heart rate was, you know, things were more stable, um, with all of my vitals that they were like, okay, like you can go, but these are the things you need to do. Mm-hmm. So I did them. Um, I was still very restrictive in a lot of ways, still very um, regimented in things, but I started an antidepressant and like, it was better. I was a lot better, Mm -hmm. not cured, but better. Yeah. Um, And since then, it's still been like, uh, it's been an, it's an ongoing thing. Like I will have it for absolutely ever, Mm -hmm. Um, but I was able to, you know, graduate from college and do teach for America and start my life and it not be so when I was in anorexic it was at every second every minute every hour part of my thinking Mm -hmm. and then it became like that's not as important like I am working I am teaching I am getting my master's I have too much other stuff to really worry about this I didn't even work out for like over a year when I first moved to Houston because I was so busy but I was eating well where I didn't gain weight it was fine Um, but it's kind of been like an up and down plateau. Um, it's something that I think about now a lot as, um, basically like fitness was also my outlet because I have depression and I can be very critical and negative. I almost like need those endorphins. 
every day. And so people, I think sometimes think I'm like obsessed with working out. And it's like, it's not really about vanity. It's about, I feel much better. Like I physically feel calmer, more energetic, happier when I, after I work out. So that's why I do it. It's Mm -hmm. not really about vanity. Um, and so that's what I've kind of continued to do. Um, I became a personal trainer before I, while I was still teaching and working in education because I just loved, um, how, how kind of like working out and learning how to eat right, like made me feel much better about myself and seeing that I could help others with that because I could also relate to being overweight. Mm -hmm. It's funny because a lot of people see me, especially now and they're like, you've never been overweight. I'm like, yes, I have. Oh, yes, I have. (laughs) You don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, oh, no, no. I've been there. I understand when I deal with women that like are like binge eaters and they emotionally eat and all those things. I've been there. I don't do that now. Mm -hmm. Um, I cope in other ways, but really it was all just a coping mechanism Mm -hmm. gone wrong, (laughs) so to speak. So um, now I would say I am in a very balanced approach to eating. Um, I became a health and fitness coach and I actually, um, like work for a company that I found their products, their home workouts. Once I had kids, it was so hard for me to get to the gym all the time with that. My second, my first, I still was training clients and all of those things. Um, but I found like a really balanced, I was still not eating great when I became like a health and fitness coach. And I learned like, Oh, I'm not getting enough healthy fat in my diet. I still very much restricted things like peanut butter and avocados, and I still ate egg beaters. So I was better, but I still was like very calorie conscious. Yeah. Okay. Um, but as I began to follow this new nutrition program, and that was scary for me, like as a 33 year old, I was like, all right, I'm going to really follow this, but I am not sure I can eat this much fat in a day and not gain weight. And yeah. I didn't. And so it was like, wait, I'm eating way too much fruit. I don't need that much in my diet. I need more protein and I need more healthy fats and I need like nuts and seeds. So I did it kind of like as an experiment, mm-hmm. um, very skeptical. And I felt like this really works and I feel better. Mm-hmm. And I know all of these things are things that my body needs. Yeah. So now I do eat a very, you know, some people would say I'm still like, maybe I can be restrictive about certain things maybe, but it's like, if there's a piece of cake and I want it, I have it. I enjoy it. I savor it. If I really want a burger, I have it, but I might wrap it in lettuce because I don't care about the bun. I'd rather have some fries. Yeah. Like, so I naturally make out, make like swaps in my mind. Yeah. Um, but it's like, if there's something I really want, I love pizza, ice cream, all those things. I just don't overdo it in the way that I once did. Yeah. It's um, like you, um, you found that middle ground for, intuitive eating but intuitive eating doesn't necessarily mean eating what you want all the time it's you still have to have the knowledge of like okay well I know that like if I ate what I want all the time I'd be eating bowls of cereal and plates of brownies every day and then I know I wouldn't be happy with how I feel or how I look so it's making the choices to that benefit how you want to look and feel yeah and I actually you know I noticed like how I feel after I eat a salad or like protein and veggies and stuff versus when I eat like a more simple carb, like how I feel after how it affects Mm -hmm. my body. So I make a lot of decisions kind of like based on that. But like I said, if there is something I really want to have, I have it. I just might, you know, eat 
more fruits and vegetables the rest of the day or more lean protein because I had like this carb heavy meal or this special meal. Mm-hmm. But to me, that's what balance ultimately is. And I'm trying to teach it to my daughters is that like piece of cake isn't bad. Chips, sometimes they're not bad, but you have to balance that. You can't have all bad and no good. Mm-hmm. So we know we're going to a birthday party later and you ask me for some candy in the morning no, we probably don't need candy because you know at the birthday party, you're going to have cake and juice and chips, like food that's not really giving your body any vitamins. So yeah. let's have some something healthy now to balance that out. I think that's going well, but I don't know. It kind of worries me because my oldest, she's eight and she's um, she likes sweets a lot too. Mm-hmm. She got my inherited sweet tooth and um, she's also kind of perfectionistic. But my husband is like the complete opposite. He's almost like a binge eater in some ways. He eats a lot at a time. And so I'm like trying to really teach them like you eat smaller amounts more often. And like you can have that stuff sometimes, but you don't need so much of it. Yeah. I think it's like, that's really important. I think bringing kids up with a, not necessarily telling them, what to do, but educating them on why you're doing it. And then also, I think it's really important that we talk about emotions around food. You know, it's not just, this is how you balance your meals, but we talk about like, you know, why we're eating what we're eating. And like you said, think about how it makes you feel. Um, Yeah. And so my, um, that's, that's kind of like the next phase I'm noticing with my daughters, because the other thing is I'm noticing especially my oldest, like she likes sweets and they are kind of like comfort. Mm -hmm. And often when she wants like a reward for something, she wants it to be food. And I'm trying very hard to be like, okay, yes, like we love ice cream. And sometimes it's okay to get an ice cream cone to celebrate something. But you, I don't want you always thinking of a reward as being food Mm -hmm. because food is supposed to fuel us, make us healthy. It's not supposed to be our reward. Mm -hmm. I would rather us do something else than, you know, you get ice cream or special dessert or whatever. That's like, I don't want them to equate food as a reward. I'm being kind to myself, giving myself this junk food when actually it's the opposite, but it feels good and it tastes good. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like the next piece that I feel like I can start talking to them about, especially because I already noticed that about her. Yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, they're like, oh, mom, I'm like, well, you're not having, you know, if you don't eat your carrots or you don't eat whatever, then you're not having this. And they think I'm like the worst mom ever, but I'm like, sorry. They're like, you don't even let me have color dyes. (laughs) Actually you do. But if there's a non-color dye choice, let's choose that one. Yeah. Why not? (laughs) You know? So, um, again, we have junk food in our house. I don't really eat it. It doesn't tempt me anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, it used to be my vice. I whipped through a tub a week by myself. Mm-hmm. I had some in the fridge for like over a week and a half and I'm like not eating it. I don't, it, food doesn't have control over me. And I feel like for so many people it does. I know my husband thinks about food a lot. He gets a lot of comfort from food, but really food is supposed to be our energy source. And the other thing I would say is it's so fascinating to me, especially in America, like our social relationship with food. So one of the reasons I got so depressed in college and I left this out was because everything involved food. Okay. Like all social things involved food. 
I was afraid of food. I didn't want to eat food. Mm-hmm. So did I go to social things with food? No. no. Cause they're scary, you know? And then, yeah, I went through the same thing. Uh, it's, it's scary to think about going out to eat and what do you pick when you're afraid of food? Looking at a menu is like yeah. one of the most terrifying things, which sounds yeah. crazy that, but it's like, what do you choose? And I brought Tupperware at times to like eat my own food at restaurants and it's hard. It I makes social events almost, you just didn't go. <laughs> yeah. I just usually didn't go. Like I stopped doing a lot of things. I isolated myself a lot because I was like, I don't, I just, I didn't want to go mm-hmm. because I knew food was almost like, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, in our culture, it's very intertwined and people make it a lot about the food. And it's even like, now I try to tell my clients, like when you're at a party, yes, there's going to be like food and junk food, whatever, but it's not really about the food. If you think about it, it's about being with the people that you care about and enjoying each other and connecting. So if you focus more on like friends and family than the food, that's like the right start. First yeah. of all. I think that's great advice. And I don't think it's necessarily different of our culture to be brought together around food. I think that food mm. is something that brings all cultures together. But the point that you just made is a distinct difference is that in other cultures, food brings you together, but food is that spark. And then once you're there, it's about the people. It's not yeah, it's only not about the food. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's a big difference. I think that's very true. So um, that, that, was a, that was another reason I got so depressed was because I isolated myself because I didn't want to be around food. Um, and it was like, at the time I was like, why? Why do we have to have food at everything? What is people's problems? Like, it was so bizarre to me at the time. Um, and I get it now, but again, it's like, it's really not, all about the food. Like the birthday party is not about the cupcakes and the ice cream. The birthday party is about celebrating a friend and having fun together. So that's something I'm trying to like tell the girls too, but especially here in America, it's like Super Bowl. You're expected to have this junk food spread. And it's like all of these big eating holidays, there's always something, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as you finish Valentine's, well, Easter candy's out. Yeah. And it's like all of these things. Um, so the other thing I would say is like, as I made the shift into clean eating, not eating so many processed foods, I was really able to break that sugar addiction because I was legit addicted to sugar. Yeah. Um, and once you kind of get past the first few days where it's really hard, you realize like never in my life would I would have thought like now if I said something's too sweet, I'm like, oh, that's actually too sweet to me. Yeah. And that's been a process too. Um, that didn't happen overnight. I used to put like all this pumps of syrup in my coffee at Starbucks and like two extra stevia, like crazy sweet. And now like I cannot do overly sweet at all. So it's just kind of like a process, but I do think it's really important for people to, um, you know, I would love to see in our country a shift from like food as enjoyment, food as pleasure to like food as fuel. And I think it's really like unfortunate that even like in schools our kids aren't taught mm-hmm. about like what how food is supposed to fuel our body and how it makes us feel I mean even like my daughter did swim team last year and it was like candy fest on swim meet day they all this candy at the concession stand all the kids are eating it and I'm I'm like the bad mom or feeling like the bad mom because I'm like no you can pick one candy thing and no we're not drinking Gatorade and Powerade you can have water or something else that I, that I have on hand that's like a natural all natural like Gatorade 
has electrolytes and stuff in it. But I'm like, but I feel like I'm the weird one, mm-hmm. like the bad mom. And so it's going to be like interesting to see how this year's swim team goes. But talking about like how I just think so many people are misinformed about nutrition and what their body actually needs. Um, yeah. And I, I like the point you made about food being fuel versus food being enjoyment and pleasure. But I think that there's a, I don't think that the two are mutually exclusive. And I think it's important because I lived in those two different worlds. Like I lived with really enjoying food. Um, and then I was afraid of it. And I also thought of it as fuel. So I detached from all enjoyment and all like social aspects and that wasn't healthy either. And so I think it's, it's finding and learning and realizing the fact that when you do fuel your body correctly, you do feel better. And so you do still get enjoyment um, and pleasure out of the food that you're eating because it's now making you feel really good. And then also sort of like you said, you can still like, if you really want to eat something, you can still go eat it and it's not going to ruin your life or your day. Right. So you can, if you love eating pizza, you can still work that into your life. Um, and you can still enjoy and get pleasure from food, but it shouldn't be your sole source of enjoyment and pleasure. Yes. Which is, is hard for people. I don't think they have other ways of self-care and of self-love and of like soul food, things that they really enjoy doing that bring them pleasure. Food is just too easy and they don't do other things outside of eating that make them feel really good. Yeah. I think it's a double-edged sword because I think it's like you said, a lot of it is, um, it does make us feel good. Like there are a lot of emotions wrapped up in food. When you think about like what your mom always made you when you were sick or like a family meal that you loved, there are a lot of feelings naturally associated with foods, especially like special foods. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that's like natural. And that's what that's my husband will sometimes be like, but you don't like eating. I'm like, yes, I do. I actually really love like this chicken stir fry that I made. Yeah. Healthy. Absolutely. But to me, it tastes fantastic. I'm not eating it and it's tasting like gruel, right? I've learned how to cook in a way that tastes really good and it's also healthy. So absolutely, I enjoy this. And in fact, I enjoy it more than I would that burger because one, it tastes greasy to me. Two, I'm going to feel like crap later, which is what always happens. And so it's like, that's not really worth it to me anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, I can make a healthier version of that at home. So it's, I still, you know, I eat pizza, I eat burgers, I eat all these things, but even like versus when I eat out and when I eat home, I notice I feel better Mm -hmm. when I have cooked it versus eating it out. I think the other bad thing about that is like one, it's so readily available and two, manufacturers and food companies are invested in you wanting it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. So they put things in there. They, they study, right? Like the exact combination of trans fats and sodium and sugar, that's going to make our brains light up like drugs do and want more. Yeah. So it's not all entirely our faults, right? I mean, a lot of it is we kind of develop like this chemical dependency on feeling the way we feel from that quick sugar hit and sodium. And it tastes so good to our taste buds. I mean, it does. It tastes good. It's really good. Yeah. So it's like this immediate positive feedback. And again, like this, the study to me, like where it shows it lights up like your dopamine, just much like cocaine and heroin and all these other things. It's, it's not all entirely people's fault, right? They are putting stuff in it to make us crave it more. 
And so, um, you know, it's just something that I feel like we have to educate ourselves about, educate our kids around, become like conscious consumers. Um, and it, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's very much has to be like, a, I don't believe in any deprivation. I don't, I personally don't believe in any diet, but cut out a food group entirely, unless you're like allergic to something or have a real sensitivity to something. Because I feel like the minute people feel deprived, they swing to the other end of the pendulum. And so I think it's very important to feel like, you know, to learn balance and moderation. Yeah. And education, like you said, learning is yeah. I think at the core of it so that you can make decisions for yourself. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, I could talk all day about it. I get yeah. so angry when it's like, when I see companies like Kraft, you know, they've made a way healthier macaroni and cheese that they sell in European countries that insist on higher standards. But do they sell it here? Nope, not if they don't have to, because they will make more money if they don't. Yeah. And I could understand if they haven't developed a different recipe, but they have. So they just don't sell it here because Americans don't insist on it. Yeah. So we need to start insisting. Yes. <laughs> so if you could look back at yourself, um, like at the beginning of your journey and what developed and culminated in two different eating disorders throughout your life like what what advice would you give yourself um that maybe people listening could use but that also your past self could could use or could need to hear I think the thing that I've learned is emotions we don't deal with like life events and sad upsetting like un just hard, tragic things that we deal with, if we don't actually really deal with them at the time they happen, it's going to resurface in another way. Mm -hmm. So like we, we can think that, um, and I used to think this, that I could just push it, push it, push it, push it away, um, kind of sweep it under the rug and ignore it. And I'd be fine. And at the time I was fine, but that's, um, that's just wrong. Like it will keep coming back. It's kind of like if you make, if you're making a mistake until you learn like the lesson, you're going to keep making that mistake in your life. Um, until at some point you're like ready to really deal with it or face what it is. So I would tell people like, don't be afraid to be sad, to like walk through the emotions of grief, of hurt, of those things. I do think conversely, it's kind of like nutrition. You have to find a balance. You can let yourself be upset and depressed and sad and all of those things for a time, but you also have to recognize when it's time to try to move on. Mm -hmm. um, I think therapy is really important for people. And I would say like, I wish I had found a healthy coping mechanism at a younger age um, because essentially that's where all of my problems came from is I just chose the wrong coping mechanism. Yeah. Like, and I could have, you know, could have been worse. I could have chose alcohol or drugs or whatever. And at one time I was a very heavy binge drinker at the time. I was also a binge eater mm -hmm. um, because I just didn't have balance. If I was like, why are we drinking a glass of wine? I need 10 shots in an hour. Like that was my mentality. Yeah. So again, it was like over excess of everything, kind of like this numbing. So I think it's that one, don't be afraid of your feelings, like own them, respect them, try to listen to what they're telling you. If you need help with those, like counselor, psychologist, a good friend, truly important. And two, like find a way that is not harmful 
to cope that makes you feel better, whether that's knitting or running or walking or coloring or whatever it is, find something that is not related to like food or drugs or just that is negative that will actually harm you to cope and to process emotions. Yeah. I wish I had learned that sooner. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Um, and I think that there are probably some people listening that could use that. And I hope that they do. Me too. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Uh, I know that it can't always be easy to recount experiences like this, but that it's really important. I actually, it's May is Mental Health Awareness Month, I believe. Yeah. And so it's, it's cool. It's the second uh, where we're doing this call and it's just so important to get stories out there because people, I think more people can relate and understand than than we even know and can conceive. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Yeah, absolutely. This. Thank you. Yeah. Do you do any social media or do you do, can anybody find you anywhere if they want to yes. like seek out more I'm information? Yeah, absolutely. I'm working on a website right now. Um, I've been telling myself I'm not very technologically like um, advanced, but again, that's an identity issue, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> But I am absolutely, I'm on Instagram um, at mom with grit and grace. Um, my name is Jennifer Taylor Catano on um, Facebook. And I also have a community on Facebook. And it's just my name for, and a frugal fit mama because I'm frugal. I'm fit and I'm a mama. And, and um, I'll be working on a website soon because I, I really would like to help more women um, kind of own that they are valuable, they are worthy especially moms. As a mom, I kind of went down the spiral again of like thinking I didn't have to take care of myself, um, feeling selfish for doing so, but it's absolutely not selfish to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't really take care of anybody else. Mm -hmm. um, so I am really passionate about that. And I'm really passionate about, you know, young girls growing up with a healthy body image, knowing how to fuel their bodies, um, focusing less on what they look like and how they feel um, and just being kind of like aware of, you know, things that they can do to promote their self-confidence to prevent eating disorders. Yeah. And that's all incredibly important. And I can't wait to see what you do with that and see your website when it's done. So you guys heard it. Check her out at the links, the info she gave you below. And thank you so much for listening.